Welcome to the Zeal Interestings podcast, where we discuss an interesting article or link from the week. I'm your host, Chris White. My co-host for this week is Amy Dutton. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thanks. Hey, guys. Today, we're talking about another lens. It's a design research tool published by Airbnb's design team. It's a simple series of questions collected together to help designers identify biases in their design process. Amy, how'd you come across the tool and what was your kind of re- initial reaction to it? I think this actually came across in a hacker UI email that I received. I just thought some of it was kind of interesting, not only from a design perspective, but also a coding perspective. Yeah. So I design and code. So it kind of gives me a different perspective than say like another person, the average developer. Definitely, definitely. So not only are you thinking about how like interfaces will work and like also the whole marketing design process as well, but you're on the implementation side doing this every day. How do you feel like bias kind of affects the development process. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it comes from just the history, just like when you started. So I was one of those weird people that started coding when I was 16 years old. And so I feel like I've grown up with CSS. Nice. When I was doing it, you know, it was like typography with was like really the only thing you could put in a style sheet. Whereas now your entire look and feel of your site is in CSS. And I was talking about giving style sheets, Photoshop properties with you know, filters and blurs and things like that. And so how I approach CSS is probably different because I have that history with it. You have that kind of original, old, ugly looking web version of, <laughs> of styling in your head as well as modern tools. Yeah, exactly. So like, for example, I was talking to Trevor, who's another designer developer on our team this week about uh, Webflow, which is you know, kind of a hybrid tool. It allows you to kind of design in browser and will generate HTML and CSS for you. And there's a part of me that just kind of cringes with that kind of tool because I feel like there's so much craft behind being able to write your own CSS. And a lot of it comes from being in the trenches and doing that. And so to have a machine crank that out for you just feels a little odd. It does feel odd. And, you know, I think that there's been kind of a tenuous history with tools that generate like HTML and CSS for you. If like you've had a bad experience with that, like, you know, I think many people have, like if you, like in the old days, it was like front page and what did front page generate to to look right or something like that. I'm sure that Webflow is nowhere near as bad as that, but uh, yes. definitely approach it from like a, hey, I want to, I've had bad experiences where I've had to fix all these things or do a lot to gain control of this again. So yeah, it could, it could definitely bias you against those sorts of tools because of any kind of traumatic experience in the past, even if the tools are, you know, doing a great job. Right, exactly. It doesn't even have to be stuff that has like a long legacy. So even just how quick you are to adopt new technologies, you know, like CSS Grid, I absolutely love it. Um, But it's really difficult when, say, you're working with a client that is on an older browser that doesn't see that. And you're like, oh, man, I've got to go back and support that for them because a majority of their users are using older browsers that don't support that. So then that bias will affect how you approach the next project. Should I even attempt to put it on CSS Grid because I just came off of a project where I had to do a lot of um, back support? Yeah, definitely. That That's really interesting how like you see all these new techniques and technologies come out. And depending on what your client wants to support, you may or may not be able to use them. So pulling it back to this tool, Another Lens, it seems like it's talking a lot about 
the decisions that we make on behalf of our users when we're when we're building these interfaces, like how interfaces work or you know what they can and can't do. How can you use a tool like this to kind of evaluate what what decisions you're making, like on behalf of your end users, or I guess uh, to to start out, like what what are the first things that come to mind when you think about like what a person would want to do, or things that have been problems in the past when you when you see people implementing interfaces. Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the best things about this tool is actually asking the right questions and kind of challenging the process. And so even just saying like, what are the, what biases are there? So we've talked a little bit about the development. There's also, you know, design biases and that kind of thing, but right. we also have biases as users. So the fact that I'm on a iPhone and I think you're a Android user, right? Very recently. So yeah, so there's biases there as well. And that influences how we design and develop based on how we like to use the applications and the websites that we visit as users. Definitely, definitely. So they you know, the tool is a series of questions that you are supposed to be kind of aware of while you're designing. Uh, or making decisions about design. The first one is, and I think this is a really cool one. What are my lenses? And it's like, what about what about my history? Either they say either inherited like things that you are born with, or places, or where you were born, or things like that, or like the political views or behavioral things that you've had throughout your life. How how do those inform what you think a thing should be? And I thought that that was really interesting because you know I've been a technology user my whole life, and that's several decades worth of accumulated behavior. Right when I approach like a new project, I'm thinking like, how can this be like the tools that I'm used to using? And so I think that that's what they're talking about. They talk about lens, like what about your past and and biography Mm -hmm. informs how you make those decisions. Yeah. So, you know, just to bring up another question that I had this week or over the last couple of weeks was uh, Trevor again, and I were talking about the Zeal brand and how it's very masculine. And so that's a bias there um, because a majority of the Zeal team is Men, not necessarily by choice, right? You know, because they, uh, Emma and I love working on the team and definitely don't feel like there's any, you know, biases there, but it has influenced the brand. And so Trevor and I were having the conversation okay, how can we make the brand more gender neutral? Yeah. Um, And I love the fact that they want to have that conversation and trying to basically asking this question for the brand like, this is a bias that we have. How can we overcome that? That's a really interesting problem because like how do you identify the gender of a brand, right? You go to the mm-hmm. you might go to the website and see like, oh, what colors are they using? What do their marketing materials look like? What what's their language like? But also like there's there's just the pure hard fact of our team makeup, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, the majority of our team is men. I think that we have a leg up and that we have like more than one woman on our team versus <laughs> yes. you know, some some of the other companies that I've seen and worked with. But but definitely that seeing that makeup sends a message, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it might not be the message that we want to be saying. We probably want to be saying the, the message that we want all kinds of different people on our team and we value that. But, mm-hmm. you know, how do you, what kinds of design choices do you make to influence that? Did you guys come come up with any answers to that question? Yeah. So one of the brands that we're really looking at is Starbucks because everybody drinks coffee. Right. <laughs> and, uh, just by coincidence, they already have a lot of design elements that Zeal has embraced. 
So if you've seen the, it's funny, Chris and I both work remotely, but the Zeal headquarters, they have this awesome chalkboard wall and, yep. you know, a lot of the reclaimed wood and stuff like that, which are It things- definitely has a very coffee shop ethos to it, doesn't it? Yeah. So which totally lines up with Starbucks. And so just saying, okay, how do they market to people like as people, you know, not necessarily men or women. Exactly. That's that's a cool metaphor. Yeah. So we haven't made any major changes yet, but just started the brainstorming process and the visual research. But it's been fun to have those conversations. Definitely, definitely. That that's really interesting. I feel like that is definitely a challenge we face, right? Like if you want to attract people, like either clients or new employee candidates and just anybody really, how do you help people not self-select themselves out, right? Right. Well, you naturally attract people like you. Exactly. And so it's a bonus because you end up working with people that you like because they're like you and that you get along with and you gel and you can create awesome stuff very quickly and easily with minimum effort. But, you know, it's a problem when you end up blocking out people that you, you know, would bring a different perspective to a project or, you know, a style or something like that. So differences aren't necessarily a bad thing. You know, I think the whole point of this article was just to bring those things to the forefront and start asking those questions. Um, Because the easy thing is just to continue to do what you've always done. Absolutely. That, that's actually a great segue into the next question they ask is, am I just confirming my assumptions or am I challenging them? I fall for this one all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> when you ask a question, where should this button be? Or you know, what is the most important element on this page? I already have a preconceived notion about what I think that is. And I'm probably going to be seeking Instead of like honestly asking the question, I will usually like just say, well, everyone's probably like me. So let's just put this here. One really good anecdote is um, in my previous job, I was developing tools for a department in a university and we developed an all web based tool and we like did like an actual student user focus group, which was really valuable. And, you know, when I was presenting it, it was obviously like like the tool wasn't really connecting with people and that like it wasn't generating any excitement about it. And the feedback that we got was that the lack of excitement was primarily because it wasn't a mobile app. Oh, interesting. That that was not anywhere on my radar at all. Like, <laughs> I, you know, this is a web tool. It's really cool. You know, if you pull it up on your phone, it looks right. But, uh, you know, it, it didn't even cross my mind that like that age of people were, were so like app centric that like it's not even on their radar unless it was a mobile app. That was That was a very great thing for me to learn and it definitely influenced things going forward there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Have you had any uh, stories where what ended up being the right decision was the opposite of what your initial assumptions were? Uh, I'm trying to think of a unique or like a specific example, but just to talk in generalities, you know, a lot of times, even when I'm presenting work to clients, you know, the feedback that they give me is like, oh, I didn't, <laughs> didn't necessarily think about that. Right. And so the challenge is incorporating their feedback that doesn't necessarily always line up with my biases, which is a good thing. Yeah. To me, I think that's the fun part about what we do and being able to create stuff is to just to create a problem solving aspect of it. Yeah, I guess I would probably see that as like one of the most challenging parts of being a designer. Like as a as mostly a software developer, I get to like, you know, when I make decisions about how to do things, 
they're mostly non-transparent to the majority of the people that are involved, right? Like, mm-hmm. if I choose a certain coding style, it only affects the other developers on the team. But pretty much every decision that you make as a designer is under scrutiny, right? I feel like I would be really challenged by that. So I imagine that that's tricky. We'd probably say like coding patterns in general. Yeah. You know, that's where your biases would enter in. Absolutely. Do you prefer a specific coding pattern versus somebody else? Yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime, anytime I look at a new project, I feel like I've, I've seen this in, in a lot of other developers, like how can I fit this new challenge into the way that I've always done things, mm-hmm. right? Instead of thinking like, is there a way to architect this system that is like perfect for the problem that we're solving? I think like, well, I've done something similar in the past and even though it doesn't sound right, I probably will just do the same thing over again with different, like, except differently. That's definitely something that that I've fallen prey to. Mm -hmm. There's such a long series of questions here that we probably don't have enough time to cover them all in one episode, so maybe we'll have to do a follow-up. But maybe let's cover one more question on this list I thought was really interesting. It's The question is, what details here are unfair or unverified or unused? I thought that was a really interesting question to ask because uh, when we, as implementers when we have a list of like features to implement or buttons or text to do, I think I feel like the focus is so much on like getting to the end of that list that when you actually look at something and say, you know, from the unused aspect, like what can we actually just get rid of and is not important? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a question that I never ask would, unless I'm forced to. Uh, so I think one of the big things is data right now that we have the advantage of. So in one of the projects I'm working on right now, we were trying to decide, are we digging in the weeds right now, trying to make sure that this responsive view is 100% accurate. And so actually being able to pull up the Google Analytics and see that, oh yes, 75% of the users are looking at it on this view. So this is the important thing. Everything else is a detail that we can forget about. Obviously, mobile makes this job a lot more challenging or at least like adds some complexity to the solutions we need to come up with. But maybe you're making the wrong assumptions about how people are getting to your content and you know, we have the tools to know those answers, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Cool. Yeah, well, I think that that's probably a good place to get wrapped up here. I would absolutely love to to talk more about these questions and how they can really help us figure out our biases and, and kind of balance out our biases versus, you know, things that are, you know, our end users need and want. So so definitely let's let's do a follow-up to this. So thank you so much everyone for listening. If you'd like more interestings, you can sign up for our newsletter at codingzeal.com slash interestings or follow us on Twitter at codingzeal. Thank you everyone. Bye.